This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. You are listening to As a Woman, Episode 72 Girl Power, an interview with Dr. Tiffany Jones. Tiff is an REI like myself. She currently practices in Dallas, Texas. She has quit her job. She exudes confidence. And she views this world a little bit differently and probably how we all should. Listen up. Welcome to As a Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited today. I'm sharing with you an interview I did with one of my dear friends, Tiffany Jones. She is an REI up in Dallas and she's just fabulous, a fabulous, fabulous person. I took a break from this podcast for the first time since I started recording it. And it was because of the current events that have been going on in the world. I really wanted to process what I bring to you with this podcast and how I can make it better. And so one thing I've decided is that there'll be more guest episodes, especially from experts in my field included. It is still going to be mostly me. It is still going to be a educational and empowering space. But there are so many other voices that I could share that you would enjoy listening. And I'm starting with Tiff. So Tiffany and I, like many REIs now, we became Instagram friends first, which is outrageous because our field is so small. We followed each other on Instagram. We always got along. And we were both invited to a think tank dinner at ASRM last year. And I got the pleasure of sitting next to her. And let me tell you, that was such an eye-opening experience because there's a piece of me that sits here and talks to you all about being confident and owning who you are and making no apologies for yourself. But I've been learning that, and Tiff lives that. And it is impressive to see somebody stand up for what they believe in without any doubt, speak her mind with full confidence, And really, I strive to be more like her when I am in some situations. She's also absolutely brilliant and fabulous. She went to medical school at Meharry Medical College in Nashville. She did her residency in OBGYN at USC, which is a fabulous program. And she did her fellowship at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. She has now had two jobs. She's in her second job because she quit her job. You know it. You know, she and I both believe so many times we choose a position based out of fear and a choice made out of fear is never going to be the right one. I'm going to jump right in and get to it because I know you guys want to hear this. She's fabulous, fabulous. We're talking about her journey in medicine. We are talking about girl power. We are talking about being an infertility doctor. We are talking about being a black woman in medicine and especially health disparities in our field and how you can be a better ally for those around you. Warning, it gets really personal and vulnerable, but it's really great. Thanks, friends. 
All right, guys. And I am so excited now to have Dr. Tiffany Jones with me. Tiffany, welcome to the As A Woman podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I love this podcast. I love you personally and professionally. You are my spirit animal. So thank you again for having me. I love you so much. For those of you guys listening, Tiffany and I just decided that we have our own song. It's an Ariana Grande song. I like it. I bought it. Yeah. That's us. So that's kind of our life motto right now. If we want something, we are going to go after it. And that's part of what we're going to talk about here today. Tiff, I just want to tell everybody the first time we met in person was at ASRM last year. And we got the distinct, I got the best pleasure of being able to sit next to you at the dinner table of a kind of thought meeting with some big leaders in our field. And I just loved you from the first moment I met you. We'd been Instagram friends before that. But you speak your mind with such confidence that it truly, truly inspires me. And I just want to say that out loud for everybody to hear because as women, we're often taught to be the quiet one and let other people in the room speak. And you just embodied that not holding it back, uh, owning your own knowledge and self-worth. And I love that about you. Oh, thank you. I, I feel the same way about you and, and what your platform does for so many women um, it really, uh, we have to kind of dismantle how we we're brought up because if you don't say anything, if you don't speak your mind, no one's going to know uh, what you're thinking right? and how can you be a voice of change if no one knows what you're thinking. I think that's such a pertinent thought, especially right now with how the world is going and we're seeing all this great momentum and activity when it comes to, you know, standing up against racism and what you just said about if you're silent, nobody knows what you're thinking. And we really owe it to ourselves and to everybody around us to stand up for who we are and stand up for the things we believe in. And especially when that means standing up for other people as well. Well, for those of you who fast forwarded through the bio, Tiff is an REI up in Dallas. And I just want to start out with some basic questions. Like how did you get into medicine and how do you end up in our field? Because this is a field many people don't really know about when they first say they want to be a doctor. So I was one of those kids that um, wanted to be a doctor since I knew there was an option to be a doctor. Uh, I had a black pediatrician where um, I, I didn't know really of any um, black professionals uh, growing up in California. I was raised in a single parent family. Um, my mom uh, had me when she was very young. She was only 17 when she was pregnant, but she went uh, back to school and became a school teacher. But my um, pediatrician, Dr. Littlefinger, uh, he, unbeknownst to him, inspired me to want to be a pediatrician. And so that was just my goal. It was very uh, easy in a sense, because while everyone else got to kind of think about what they wanted to do, I just knew I want to be a doctor. I want to be a doctor. I just said it. I manifested it. And everything I did from that point on, from four was just how do I get there? And uh, why I'm not a pediatrician is because once I did my, pedi my pediatric rotation, I realized kids don't talk. Kids uh, are always sick. And I don't know how I can diagnose people who don't talk. And I love to talk. <laughs> so um, I was like, well, that I'm wasn't a good match. That wasn't, no, good. it was not a good match. It was just like, Oh no, I'm gonna get sick all the time. And they, they don't even talk to me. So uh, on my rotations, um, I went to Meharry medical college and uh, had a really great experience with the ob and that um, rotation and was like, wow, I 
can experience a woman's life from um, very early in her formative years as a teen to all the way to menopause. This is excellent. I can do surgery. I can do everything. And then when I went to USC for fellow um, for residency, I was introduced to reproductive uh, endocrinology and infertility. And I had a very extensive science background. I did about 10 years of research in uh, microbiology. And Look at you, girl. Yeah, girl. I, you know, I know you I look good, but I've done some things in my life now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and because REI is so um, innovative, it's so new, it was just a perfect match of being in women's health, being on the forefront of medicine, and being able to be there as things change. It was a match made in heaven. And, and, and the cherry on top were the patients who were just like me, these goal-oriented people who, you know, just needed help in this area of their life. And I'm like, well, I'm for, for dang sure. I don't know if I can use my colorful language on your show, but for dang sure, I was going to make sure that um, fertility wasn't going to be something to impede them um, when they really sacrificed everything to get to where they were, they wanted to be, whether it's career um, or education you know, having a family was not going to be something they couldn't uh, aspire to just because they put their focus on something else for, you know, what we call the reproductive years of our life. So REI is where it's at. And anybody who's, you know, doesn't know about that field, um, it has brought me so much joy. It's such a, I mean, I love our field so much. It is both more than I ever expected, yet also at the same time, so heartbreaking at moments. Mm -hmm. And OBGYN is like that in general, but I yeah. don't know until you're really the one holding that woman's hand throughout their whole journey. Yes. If you, you don't really know what it's like to feel the same pain that they do if you can't get there. And mm -hmm. you and I both have conversations with women telling them or couples just saying, it's time for a new plan. This one's not going to work. And that's a very, we're very privileged to be able to sit mm -hmm. with people in those really difficult moments of their life. Uh, we get a lot of joy too, but I think I was never really prepared for how, I mean, I love it, how close mm -hmm. we get with our patients. And it is yeah. both highest highs, low lows. Lowest lows. Yeah. Low lows. Some of our stories of, you know, you know, heartbreak are just, they stay with you and you don't forget yeah. them. But and they I, empower you for the next encounter. You know, I think that's what I really um, love most is even in the lowest lows and we've had them, um, it helps build you up for that next patient who might face the same thing. You learn a lot and um, can carry somebody through um, based on what you learn from someone else. So that's such yeah, a good we are, point. We are privileged, very privileged. And plus, it's also super cool. I mean, the tech we get to work with is just like the top-notch stuff. And I, I think that always keeps us on our toes and it makes us be a constant learner. You can't be in this field and not love science and not love reading and learning and being okay changing your mind, right? This is not a good field for somebody who has to be set in their ways and can't evolve because things that we're doing now weren't even thought of 10 years ago. So it, it's so I love that side of it. But some people have struggle with that because they don't want to have to constantly be changing and living on like the edge of evidence-based mm -hmm. medicine. That's where I feel like we play sometimes yeah. kind of on the edge. Well, there, this may help. So may, a study showed it was small and kind of give it a try. I want to ask because when I decided to do REI, 
I was, I was pretty scared because it's so competitive and, but I really wanted to do it. So I just struck out telling everybody I'm going for REI and just like put it out there to the world. And, but I was really nervous and I interviewed at like 20 programs and it was crazy. What was, how, I want to know how you took that stage of the process. Did you tell everybody from the beginning, as soon as you knew, did you kind of keep it to yourself? What was your mentality during that? Well, um, luckily, I, I went to USC with Dr. Ben Dixon and Dr. Paulson. So oh, I had so um, good there. They're so I know. Good. I know. I was like, oh, you know, I had some I had some mentorship uh, to lean on. Um, and, it, and it really, truly wasn't until my rotation with REI that I even thought about it. So that was like my second year of um, residency. But just like anything else um, that I've done. Once I decided it, I had to make a strategic plan of now how I'm going to get there. And so the way um, that plan played out was, you know, okay, research is heavily um, looked at in your application. I had 10 years of research and publication, so that gave me a little bit of a leg up. But then, you know, it wasn't really focused in REI, so partnering with fellows um, and um, picking research projects and making sure that I strengthen that part of my educate like my, my, that part of my resume or, or curriculum um, vitae as we call it, <laughs> um, and um, making sure that I um, really showed that I was interested by um, hunkering down um, with those fellows and, and being an active part. And, you know, doing well on CREOGs, which are our tests that we take in OB-GYN. Um, but, you know, I really try to, mo- like, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're not, I'm, I've never have been trailblazing anything. I've seen people who have done it. How were they successful? And how can I emulate that success? Because um, that's kind of a tried and true process. So that's how I've attacked everything, you know, just find out what that path is and stay on it. And, and I, I wasn't scared. I do, I do understand that though, because, you know, once you start telling people, then you get those naysayers and stuff like that. I'll listen to the naysayers. I love they it. Are, let me tell you, I feed on that. That is my, <laughs> I knew I you'd mean, have something good to say I, here. <laughs> I, mean, I, just, I was telling somebody the other um, day, you know, about the haters, you know, you just, they don't know that for this car over here, this little, this little red wagon, this little, I said little red Corvette. Yeah, that's, that's, that's me. They pour the gasoline in that tank. So as much as you want to put in negative to me, you just don't help me get further. So it's very, I mean, you would probably do better by feigning support than giving me out and out heat to detour this from getting anywhere that it's supposed to go. So um, I, I, I never fear that. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy people saying, you're not going to do this and you're not going to do that because it's happened my whole life. You know, even, you know, going to medical school, my counselor at UCLA, you know, you'll never go to medical school. It's like, oh, okay. Watch well, me. Oh, girl. You... <laughs> You get a, you gonna get a grad, you gonna sit in the front row on my graduation. Don't worry. I'm gonna send you an invitation. (laughs) I'll Um, fly you out. I love you so, so much. I aspire, I aspire to have more. I've definitely gained more of that if I've gotten older. Just like take it or leave it. And I'm gonna do this. And if you don't believe me, 
watch, just wow. sit back and watch. Yeah. But I, I was not quite as confident as a resident. I think it just took time to develop. And I was the same way. I did research. I was like going and pipetting after doing mm-hmm. a night shift of OBGYN. And the thing that I always tell, because I get asked all the time on social media, oh, I want to be a fertility doctor. What's the best thing I should do? Going to residency at a place that has a fellowship, mm-hmm. one of the best things you can do because best the things. opportunities and the people you meet, you can't replace that. Mm-mm. You really can't. And, and that was also, you know, strategic too, when, when I was interviewing for um, OB-GYN um, programs, I'm born and raised in California, so I definitely wanted to be home, but having like U- USC had everything, you know, so there was really, if I did choose to do a fellowship, I knew I would have mentorship in any facet, even from family planning, minimally invasive surgery, everything was there. And, and, and not everyone, like you said, we're privileged to have these things, you know, so you have to understand, but I don't want to detour people who go to community programs to say they can't do it. You just know that you need to go ahead and find that mentorship somewhere and the road might be a little harder for you. Yeah, you kind of have to make your own way. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Caraway. Spring is coming and I always love a good home reset. Non-toxic cookware is the perfect way for you to kick off your own spring cleaning. With so many collections to explore, there is a caraway for every cook. Their internet-famous kitchenware is a staple for any home. It comes with beautiful shades to fit your aesthetic, but most importantly, you're ditching the chemicals. Caraway's non-toxic kitchenware comes a chemical-free ceramic coating so your food can be prepared without any of those hard-to-pronounce chemicals leaching in to your healthy ingredients. Everybody knows that I am a big believer that our environment impacts our body, and that's why I trust Caraway with my cooking. Visit carawayhome.com slash A-A-W to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners, so visit carawayhome.com slash A-A-W or use the code A-A-W at checkout. Caraway non-toxic cookware made modern. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. I love Ritual and I love taking their Essential for Women 18 Plus every single day. One reason I love it is that it's gentle on an empty stomach And it has a minty essence, so every bottle feels refreshing and is actually enjoyable. It's also clinically backed multivitamin with high quality and traceable key ingredients, and they have industry-leading sustainability standards. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Over is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Rocket Money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about? Embarrassingly, I am one of those as well. And Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you that otherwise could have been a time-consuming process. Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it can be never-ending 
So Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. They monitor your spending and help you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. That's rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. Rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. Yeah, you kind of have to make your own way a little bit more, I think, if you're at a community program or, you know, even an academic program with without an REI division. Mm-hmm you'll have to work a little bit tougher yeah. to just prove to the right people that you can make it because yeah. it's still a really small field. I'm always surprised when people want to talk smack about each other or go and burn some bridges because mm-hmm. this field is small. And so people know people. And yeah. so when you're trying- I'll light them up. I'll let you know. I'll light some bridges up now. <laughs> oh man, I like, well, when, when bridges should be burned, I mean, like definitely they should yeah. be. I, I do it too, girl. Yeah. Uh, in general, you know, I think there's times where people are like, well, this is small field. We should be mm-hmm. mindful of, I see it a lot on social media, people kind of uh, not treating, I don't know, like things you would never say to your attending. Yeah. And like to a comment or something. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different story. I want to ask about you. How did, so you're in Dallas and you did fellowship yeah. at Mayo, right? So Yes, I did. Mayo's fabulous for those people who are listening, but super cold. So you're a Mayo. So <laughs> burr. Burr, burr, burr. how did you end up in Dallas? And then I want to hear about job transition because girl, you quit your job, which yes, you know, I sure did. I feel about that. And <laughs> I'm very passionate that we come out of all this training, matching to programs and not having a say really in what we're doing to some extent. And we don't even know how to evaluate those options to see what really fits us and what's important to us. But tell me about how you kind of decided to take your first job and then the process of changing jobs and quitting and what that was like for you. Yeah. So I, um, let's see, what was the first thing? Um, how did I get to Dallas? So, um, I have a life partner. Um, I call him the Stedman to my Oprah. I love it. (laughs) We're not married, but we've been together since medical school and it works for him. And so if it works for him, it's working for me for right now. Uh, he's a psychiatrist and I love him very much. So shout out to that man of mine, my little Stedman. We love you, Stedman. So he, uh, his family took roots here and uh, in Dallas. And so when we were thinking about where to kind of build our lives, it was between California where my family is, which is super expensive. Okay. Yeah. Or a nice little Dallas that doesn't have any state tax. And I was like, you know, well, I can fly to see my family on the money I save from taxes here. So, um, and his family is very lovely and in Dallas, I think Dallas is a very great city. Uh, we live in the Frisco area, and uh, it, it it reminds me of places I grew up in um, in Southern California, family oriented, and you know, kind people. I, I really I enjoyed visiting his family here, so it wasn't really a a difficult decision to come out here. Um, I was uh, offered a job, um, kind of recruited a little bit by um, a former fellow that I knew from USC. And um, her, the way she was brought into 
um, the, the company really, you know, I was just like, wow, you know, they built an office for her and she got to pick out her tile and, you know, everything. And I was like, everyone had their own clinics. And for me, I, I know the type of person I am. I really, I, I like, I like, I'm social, but I really am a person who likes to have their space, you know, and, and, and get to see their vision and, and treat their patients the way that, um, that I see fit to. Some autonomy, so, right? Uh, patient autonomy, physician autonomy. And, um, and so that's, that's how I got to the, my practice. I will, um, I will say when I got there two weeks in, it was very different than what, um, I thought it was going to be. Um, and that's okay. Um, it, um, they wanted me to just be in a clinic with another provider. And um, that was a shock because it wasn't what I desired coming out of fellowship. And had I known that, I wouldn't have, you know, taken that job. And I learned in that situation that your contract really matters. Your contract matters. Let me tell you, there's a lot of things that matter in this world and contracts is definitely one of them. We'll talk about some other things that matter also, but contracts matter uh, because what, um, you know, companies protect themselves as they rightfully should and, and, uh, and the employees should as well. Whatever is in your contract is what's in, is what's in your contract and what's not in, in your contract is not in your contract. And so that was a learning experience because as we, you know, as we transition through or matriculate through undergrad, grad school, medical school, all these things, we're not focused on the business part of our lives at all. And so these are growing pains. I think, you know, I, the statistic is how many people leave their job after the first three years, you know, Oh, it's like 70% percentage. or something. And this is why, because we don't know anything and it's not their duty to teach us, but they gonna teach you something. I learned something. I thank them for it. They should be very proud of what they have taught me because they've made me into a better person. So my next contracts will be my own. Because <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, you know, you just have to, you know, you have to understand the way of business so that you can, um, you can be a good physician, but you can also take care of yourself, yourself in a business sense. And so I made the decision, um, after, you know, some soul searching just to say that, you know, if, if people aren't going to be able to give you what they say, they're going to give you, you're going to have to get it for yourself and that's okay. And it's not, um, it's not their responsibility. Ultimately my responsibility and my happiness is myself. It cannot come from an external source. Um, it would be great if it could, but if you can't do it for yourself, um, and my grandma told me that long ago, and I should have listened to her <laughs> along, you know, you know, you listen to your grandparents, but, um, you know, if you can't make yourself happy, who's going to make you happy? And uh, that's why I left to go find my happy in a, in a situation where I can control it for myself. And so um, now I'm, I'm in a situation where I have a lot more say. Um, it's a smaller group and, um, and it's going very well thus far. I'm so proud of you. I think you hit the nail on like so many good points right here. And I want to say we are often so excited to get to that stage of the first job mm -hmm. and nobody's talked to us about contracts. You don't learn any of that along the way. Yes, you do your due diligence and get a lawyer, but contracts by and far 
are favoring the person who wrote the contract, which yes. is the corporation or, you know, what the practice or whatever situation it is. And that's because that's their lawyer's job to do so. Yes. There were so many traits about myself and many I feel much more confident about now, but it's a, you don't want to mess up this relationship. Like you like the job, you like what they're selling you. You can have your clinic, your autonomy, mm -hmm. you can do this. That sounds good. And there was some, I wouldn't have verbalized it or maybe recognize it at the time, but internal fear of not wanting to like rock that boat. Right. That made it hard to really negotiate from mm -hmm. my best position. Yeah. And, you know, feel like you feel, oh, they're not going to, well, they told me this, so I'll believe it. And you just said, right. what's not in the contract is not in the contract. If it's implied in the contract, it is not in the contract mm -hmm. and it is not in the contract. So if there are things that are really important to you, you have to lay them out on the table real early and you have to stick to them and you yeah. have to be okay walking away. And that's yes. what's so hard, right? You have to say and feel confident enough in yourself to say, there are other opportunities because there are yeah. and taking one and then you're in some contract with some non-compete or some this or some mm -hmm. that that was not favorable just because you felt like it was the only opportunity or this or that you're hurting yourself in the long run so you know you have to be afraid or not afraid to say i deserve better than this this is mm -hmm. not gonna make me happy in the long run so why settle for it now yeah. and I, you know, I think it's just very interesting. So I felt the exact same way. I kind of felt like things were told to me one way and then they, in reality, it was a different way. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I mean, that hurts the, you know, corporation or the employer as well because it doesn't do them any good. Yeah. They lose a ton of money when employees leave, plus they lose right. goodwill. So I don't know. Yeah, I think um, it it is best to... Well, let me, let me take it. Let me take it from the beginning of the thought. We are so thirsty when we get out of, when we're graduating from whatever. And the, we're supposed to get a job. No one is ever saying, at least this day and day in medicine is, you know, be an entrepreneur, make your way. You know, it's just like, you got to get a contract. Do you have a contract? What, you know, what's your contract? So then you get these contracts and it's like, they already have a leg up because you're so fearful and you're so hungry to say that, yes, I've secured a job, you know, and I had a contract very early and I was very happy about that. But that was also part of the problem because my mentality was like, I'm secure because I have this job um, because of, you know, how we're, how our mentality is like, where we're so scared of, um, you know, like it, what it says about us if we don't have a contract or don't have a job right out of, you know, residency. And then financially, we're burdened too. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have loans, you know, you have to pay bills and things like that. So I think um, to anyone's listening that's making transitions like that, you have to know that there is always going to be another opportunity. Look at your life thus far. Don't be afraid to walk away or to negotiate. If you don't want to negotiate, you have lost that battle and you will be in the position where you're leaving that job after that contract or even before it ends. Exactly. Or you're going to burn out and then you're done with medicine altogether. So all how did that help you? You put in all this time and then you're burnt out and it doesn't feel worth it to fight your non-compete or to sit out mm -hmm. or to move. And so 
you say, never mind, I'm going to do something different now. And that's the complete, because it feels like the path of least resistance. However, mm-hmm. it's just, it's all goes back to that for a few things. I mean, I think one is feeling like you have permission to advocate for yourself in that negotiation and knowing that that's okay, because it's weird, or at least in our field, there's not tons of jobs coming out and where they are kind of varies. And if you have a location you want to be in, you may not have tons of opportunities, but there's always more opportunities than you know. And you can always yeah. create your own opportunities. And I know that's harder in our field than in some Beyonce told us, she said, chop down a tree and build your own table. And let me tell you, we are building tables. There's <laughs> some trees out here and some tables being built. We are building tables. I feel the same. I mean, obviously now I'm in, I'm in the lucky spot where I've now quit jobs twice. So um, (laughs) here we are. It's the first time I'm talking about that on this podcast, but I think it's also okay to say that your needs can evolve. And so walking away Mm -hmm. to things that are the wrong for you and having enough awareness to say, Hey, I thought that would work, but the truth is it's not, you know, I grew above that opportunity and I need something Mm -hmm. different now. You're allowed to do that too. So just if anybody needs permission for that, I think it's important to hear that no piece of paper contract is worth quitting medicine over. What you need to do is figure out how to make it work for you. And it won't be easy, but it will be worth it. Yes. Okay. Um, We could probably talk on that subject for like three whole hours and then everybody (laughs) over drinks. Um, I want to know about, you know, your experience. So you're one of the very few black female REIs. There are not very many. And so what was your experience as a black woman in medicine? How are you interpreting? You must be emotionally exhausted, partially not even wanting to talk about this after kind Mm -hmm. of the past couple of weeks, but I'd love to hear about your experiences in medicine and just some, you know, sharing with my audience what it was like, because I think that's one thing that a lot of us are realizing is that when we were silent or sitting next to you at Mm -hmm. dinner, you know, there may have been things going on that I was just completely oblivious to as a white Mm -hmm. woman next to you. And I think trying to see the world more through some of the experience that you've been through is helpful for everybody. Yeah. So, um, one of the things that I have probably been hurt the most, most by is the silence because when I was in fellowship, um, Philando Castile was murdered and I was in Minnesota. I was in Minnesota. And, you know, like I said, I come from California. So my friends are very diverse. You know, you keep track of people um, from high school and middle school through Facebook. And, you know, at night I would be up till like one in the morning on Facebook, counteracting everyone, you know, trying to explain why he should have been shot and, and all this, and just the anger trying to grapple with that. And then I would go to work the next day and nobody was talking about it. You know, like I would, you know, like literally would, you know, trying to fight back tears. This is a man I don't know, but this is a story that I know. This is a story that I know too well, because it's, more common than I think anything should ever be where people lose their lives um, for whatever reason when, you know, I can't, I can't bring a life back, you know? So it's, it was very hurtful to go to work. And one, I felt for me, I didn't want to bring it up. I didn't want to say anything. 
Um, but then I was also angry because like, I feel like if I was so hurt by this, this human dying, why is everyone else just like, well, what do you want to do for lunch? You know, it's just to live um, kind of, you know, one foot in each world is so hard. Um, and as a black woman, as a black person, I have to do that in life a lot. Um, we call it, you know, either in code switching where, you know, like the, the way I am, you know, at work, maybe not, maybe it isn't my true self, you know, and I am afraid of being my true self and having my true feelings because it'll be to this or to that, or, you know, it's not professional. It's, you know, like it, it's a lot, or you have to listen to the people who at the water cooler say nasty things where, you know, you want to just go off, but I know I can't, I have too much to lose, but oh, I want to. So it's, it's a, it's really a, a, a true constant rage sometimes that you're in and the silence is just so hurtful and, and, and enraging because you just, you know, we're all human. And so you just don't know. And what I've really gathered from, you know, what's happened now um, is that it wasn't just me that was sad. You know, I don't think that the silence was just because people didn't know um, what happened. Um, I think it was also because people were feeling in the same way of just wanting to make it through the day without any conflict, not wanting to be in a, any discomfort. You know, I did the same thing because I, I could have said something too. Um, but we're all trying to like make it. But now in light of this man being murdered in the, the way he was um, with such disregard for his life, you know, a bullet is something very quick, but eight minutes and 46 seconds is a very long time. It's hard. But I know that so many people feel what I feel. I just want to yeah, give you a weird. hug through the Zoom call right now, but I can't. But I really, I really want to. And um, you know, I had but, but it's it's so it's so powerful to unite everyone in a way that just lets us know we're human. We're all human. We all bleed. We all feel. And someone losing their life like this should not happen no matter what they look like. And we're all going to be uncomfortable and move the pendulum, move the marker so that we can be safer. All of us. Because if some people aren't safe, none of us are safe. And I think, you know, I don't have kids. I see your beautiful kids on Instagram. You know, we want to leave this world for these people in a better place than where we, where we got it. And it's much better for me than it was for my mom. It's much better for my mom than it was for my grandma. And it's much better for my grandma than it was for hers. But we can do better. And we're going to do better. So much better. And um, um, I'm so moved because we're just all in a space where we're going to be uncomfortable and show that we, <clears throat> we feel, you know, and I think in the past, 
maybe some people are just having an awakening where they they now finally see it. But I think a lot of people did see it. It was just more comfortable for us not to say anything. Um, and and as a as a black woman, I'm I'm very happy about that. I'm happy about where we're moving to. And it has been hard for me in some some senses, but it's it's hard for everyone in, in a sense in their life. I, I understand everyone's journey. You know, if you're a woman, if you're LGBTQ, you know, if you're anything that is on the fringe, you know, even the white man, you know, he has his own things that he has to deal with too. Everybody has something. And what this movement is truly at its depth is like, we're going to come together and we're going to say that your pain is my pain. And as a people, we're going to figure out how to make it better so it doesn't happen again. And after this movement, after this has been resolved, we'll move on to the next thing together where if there's something else we need to fix, we're going to fix it together and start leaving this world better for your kids. I think it's been really eye-opening for a couple, not that I didn't know racism exists. I mean, I've been, I grew up in South Georgia, you know, and I think one of the things, you know, (laughs) yeah, and I mean, and I went to college in Alabama and I feel like in a weird way, and I am the I mean, I'm a huge advocate, just like you said, for wherever you are, you, you matter, you know, and no matter what, but it, I wasn't raised by racist parents and I saw really overt racist acts. And so mm-hmm. I got into the mindset subconsciously of, well, I'm not doing that. So I'm okay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And not realizing, which everybody's using the word now, but I really had never thought about it, you know, being anti-racist. The middle Mm -hmm. ground is just as bad and I'm not just as bad, but it's also, it's not helpful. It's not productive. So you have to actively not just say, I'm not doing that, but say, why are you doing that? That is bad. That is wrong. And standing up for, um, you know, when you see discrimination happen, call it for what it is, tell Mm -hmm. people they're being racist or be, and using actual real words and not shying away from them. It's been very eye-opening. My kids are four and five. And, you know, they know that a man named George was killed by a police officer by, you know, sitting on him until he couldn't breathe anymore because of the color of his skin. And we thought that was important for them. This is going to pivotal moment in the world. And we've talked Mm -hmm. about it, but they just can't understand why. They really can't, you know, and I think... It's not that they, you know, don't see color or whatever that is. But I think what it's really showing me is that they need to learn why, you know, they may not Mm -hmm. be taught in school why, but they need to know why and they need to know where this comes from so that they can carry this movement on to further generations and that this can be a real true moment of change. But, you know, it's heartbreaking to kind of just be on the side of watching your friends hurting and, you know, I'm like, I've seen... I know like you, I know you're hurting and I know you're both exhausted and emotionally drained yet in some ways you're broken, but you see that change is happening and that it feels good. So it's like a very weird mix of yeah. emotions. And I, and who's paying for my therapy? That's what I want to know. <laughs> who's going to pay for my therapy? We need to get you some girl. Cause at this point, <laughs> at this point we all need therapists. I know. Because it's really, um, you know, it is a, 
the emotional roller coaster that we're on on a daily basis is, you know, you know, this year has been something. 2020 has been just enough to, you know, fracture the mind. Where did the murder hornets go? And Listen. where did they go? <laughs> I just saw them for like, you know, they were barely a character. They got to be coming back, right? And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. My closet has a tendency to get chaotic and crammed with a bunch of clothes that I don't really want to wear. What's been a game changer for me has been upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have a wardrobe full of luxury and classic essentials and I stayed on budget. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, and they do this by partnering directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman and passing the savings on to us. In addition, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing and premium products and finishes. I personally am loving the linen pieces as it's Texas and summer is upon us. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. They have to, but I, you know, Natalie, I think that um, it is, you know, like you said, complacency has really been hard for people who have been marginalized to people who have been, you know, taken advantage of when pe- when the people who might have the power or at least the power in a moment to, um, to say something and to stand up for someone who can't do it from themselves. It is hard because, uh, and it is, it is dangerous because if, if a good person isn't going to say something, then it's only going to be the bad people who are going to win. And now I hear so many voices of so many good people that are just becoming allies to a movement that was started so long ago. And I hope that this continues and can't be a fad because otherwise we're going to be doing this, you know, year in and year out. And I'm tired. I don't speak for every black person, but every black person I know is tired, you know? And so we really, you know, we need to make this move. I just saw, um, Dave Chappelle's, um, (laughs) he did a, a a little, uh, impromptu comedy show on, uh, I'll send it to you if you haven't seen it on, um, Netflix's Netflix is a joke. And it was, um, very short, but you know, at the end, he really said, you know, this is kind of like the last stand, you know, you see the world uniting, everyone's saying what they want to do. But if this fizzles out, I'm scared for where we go from here, you know, because we're just very, you know, we're at, we're, we're at our boiling point. So I, I hope that we can get it together. And I hope that we can get justice for George Floyd and his family um, and for anybody who has been um, unjustly murdered and, you know, like move forward and, and find peace and find some unity. Yeah, really make a change in the world so that this can be, um, you know, a moment that we reflect back on, you know, sadly. But, you know, I'd love for the world to be where, you know, the next generation 
can't fathom that it was any other way, you know, that it yeah. seems like for your babies and for the babies we make, uh, for all those babies we make, we need, we to make love. all those babies. We want to lead this world. Yeah. We um, want to better for those better. babies. Uh, what do we do about what, uh, another good point that's, you know, coming out is a lot of people talking about the different health disparities of, you know, mm-hmm. black people in general, but especially in our field of black women. And I think some of the most concerning ones to me are the reports that, Black women don't get referred to, you know, specialists because of whatever reason, even even the setting Mm -hmm. of cancer, you know, black women don't come to see us to freeze their eggs, not because they don't want to or can't afford it, but because Mm -hmm. nobody sends them on. They're not referred by their primary provider or that they're not believed when they're in pain or that they bleed more because they don't have attention given to them after labor and after birth. And how do we start to right some of these wrongs? I, I don't have the right answer there. Is it purely just education? Do you think it's just subconscious bias and racism? Or what do you think we can do kind of as a, you know, as medical yeah. providers, you know, for people yeah. who are listening, who are in the field, how do we start to really take care of Black women better? So I think that the first step would be to have to just acknowledge that there is bias in our system. Because um, you can take two people with the exact same symptoms and see how their care can diverge. And that divergence of care can sometimes be just one critical difference. Okay. So once we just, you know, and, and it's so hard because then it's like, oh, I'm not a racist. I'm not this. It's like, don't focus on that. Just understand that we have biases and our patients are suffering. And if you're truly in this for helping people, this will help people tremendously by just acknowledging, taking a breath, taking a step and making sure that you check that bias before you write that script, before you close that note, because somebody's life is depending on it. When I see um, women referred um, or not referred, um, yeah, I think we don't, I think we, we make assumptions on patients. It's not, it's not just Black women that, you know, that it happens to. You, you can look at someone and say they can't afford IVF and so then you, you, you put them on a different course. I think we all have to just check that so we can administer care equally and equitably to everyone. I think that's the first thing that we have to do is check that bias. But I, I don't know how well it's being addressed in school and medical school and residency and fellowship, because I think we're so hung up on, well, it's not me. I don't do that. And when you think like that, then if if no one has a problem, then how are you going to change anything? There's nothing to change if no one has a problem, but the statistics tell you there's something going on. Um, I think for um, women, Black women especially, like we've always had to do, we're going to have to take uh, some things into our own hands to make sure that we're being heard. And it's unfortunate because I don't think that burden should fall on us, but because the repercussions fall on us until the system is fixed, you have to be an advocate 
<laughs> for yourself. Um, I tell that my patients that when they sit down, you know, like we are on this journey together, but you need to let your voice be heard. And if, if I ask you why we're doing something and you say it's just because my doctor told me, that's not good enough. Someone needs you make them explain to you what this medication is, why you're taking it. Um, you, you have to do that. I think another thing that is very important is diversifying the different fields of medicine. You know, it's, um, there are things like, you know, you think about language, you know, how, you know, I speak a broken Spanish. My broken Spanish does not translate to that patient in a way that a fluent speaker could because there's nuances, there's, there's cultural differences that I might say something and they take it in a totally different way than I was trying to portray it. Medicine like that is like that for different cultures too. You know, like the way that I can communicate to some of my patients on a cultural level helps to empower them. And that's important. It's an important part of, of that um, patient-doctor interaction. And I think diversifying the field will help. It's not that you as a white woman cannot have a Black patient. Of course you can. But having other doctors of other cultures be available as well is important. It's very important. Even in, it's important to inspire other people to do it. It's important that some patients who might be seeking that out can have that access to it um, and maybe uh, be more likely to seek that care. And also a checks and balances where now you have other doctors of other cultures in the room to make sure when decisions are being made that someone's speaking up for that culture. I've been, I've been at that table where, where you're about to make policy and I'm like, well, hold up. This is about to disproportionately affect one set of people and nobody's thinking like that. So the diversity of our field is important. Um, and those are some of the things I think we can do. Um, but until this is fixed, I, I urge women, you know, any, any woman to really speak up and know um, what's being done and to do their research. When you talk about Dr. Google, I, I Google stuff just to make sure that- I know, yeah. I know this good podcast you could listen yeah. to. Yeah, um, as a woman. Uh, but no, I think, so you said something, I wrote it down. So you said, we're on this journey together, but you need to let your voice be heard. So you're essentially yeah. telling your patients to be their own advocate and essentially, you know, not to give up on their health. And I think that that is such an important statement. I also heard, you didn't say it out loud, but one thing that I heard you saying in there is that we need the younger generation of women to say, watch me to their college mm -hmm. advisors who are telling them yeah. they won't go to medical school or to people who say you can't do this research or you can't get that grant or you won't get into this or you can't do REI because you have to be able to get into these spots too. And I, it will take the system being reformed, which will take many, many years and needs to mm -hmm. happen. But what that means is in the meantime, those young women and men, we need you to be advocates for yourself because yes. you have to keep pushing through and not take no for an answer and get to this stage of the game so we can have more representation from all cultures in medicine. Because, 
you know, you've said, are you on Twitter? Have you seen the hashtag like black in the ivory? So I, I'm on Twitter, but I don't really know how I'm a millennial, but I call myself a millennial light because I, I am just on the precipice of not being a millennial. We're the same. I, I like barely know how <laughs> like, to you know, it. it's like that tweeting stuff. I'm like, oh Lord. I mean, and you on TikTok now. I said, I'm done. I can't, I can't <laughs> with TikTok. I will watch the videos on Instagram. So I'm on Twitter, but I'm not on Twitter. But you said it's it's black in the ivy. Black in the ivory. Okay, yes. I agree. okay. And um it's pretty eye-opening and real I mean not that it, it won't be eye-opening at all to you. But like in some ways it's just like how often I mean we know this people are being told different anyways. I just really mm-hmm. feel like man we need to empower our patients to stand up for themselves, but man we also need to empower our younger generation of future doctors to not take no for an answer and that yeah. they can Absolutely. And, it, and it's, it's important because I think that w- when re- you're raised and I, I'm pretty sure you don't even raise your kids like this because you're very progressive, Natalie, but when you're raised, the, the, the respect of authority is held at such a high standard that I think people can become misled in that they become complicit and not challenge things. You have to challenge things and you have to let go of that fear of what's going to happen. I'm not telling you there's no consequences. God knows there are consequences. Oh, there are. Big ones, okay? And that's okay. It's okay. Don't let the fear of, oh, if I say this, then they're not going to like me. If I say this, they're going to fire me. If I say this, I'm not going to get into this school. I'm not going to... There is going to be a way for you. But if you hold on to that fear and just go along with that ride, you go, you go end up in a place that you didn't want to be in. So yes, I know we raise our kids to, you know, respect everybody and things like that, but there is a time and a place for everything. And sometimes there's a time to challenge authority. There's a time to challenge your doctor. There's a time to challenge the course of action. There's a time. And if you're going to just be led, you sometimes are going to be led astray. And again, like I said with my patients, I'm not here to preach at you. I'm not here to just pull you and prescribe this to you. We are here together. We're here together. And if you need me to explain it one more time, I'm here to explain it one more time. And if you have a doctor who's not going to explain it one more time, get a new find one. another doctor. Get a new one. I, um, I agree so much with everything you're saying just because we've got to stop making decisions based on fear because you're almost always making the wrong one. You're almost always not doing the thing that's really in line with who you are, who you want to be or what you need to do or what is right or what you believe. I also think, I love what your analogy is. I always tell patients sometimes, what would you do? I was like, you are driving the car. Like Mm -hmm. I am in the passenger seat. I am telling you the different roads. I'm telling you the one that I might take, but you like, have this to be- is the cliff over here though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's a cliff. Like that's a mountain. That's a, I'm, t- I'm giving you some direction and I'm telling you the path I would take, but ultimately you are in the driver's seat and you yes. got to make the choice for yourself. And you have to feel empowered as a patient to make that choice. And I think that, you know, I just, I love how you phrase it. So I'm going to, I wrote that quote down because I just think it's important sometimes to give patients that power because 
doctor-patient relationships are an interesting thing. And I think they're changing over time. And you and I practice very similarly. Mm -hmm. Like I am not here to dictate your care, to be paternalistic. And this is how we do it because this is the way, like that doesn't get me anywhere. I'm in it for the relationship. I want to be there with you through the journey. And we do that best together if you know why we're doing what we're doing. And I know you practice the same way, but not everybody's like that. And so I think you've got to, you know, advocate along the way for yourself the whole time. I want to, so we got to wrap it up soon, but I want to know kind of, you're one of the best, like my favorite girl boss people. You just really, really inspire me daily. And I told you that when I uh, quit my, quit my second job, uh, I was like, (laughs) Tiff is going to be so proud of me. And, you know, I was like, you are going to be so proud of me. And I like, couldn't wait to tell you. And that, you know, it's it's rare to have people in your life who you feel like when you make hard, challenging choices, that they are there for it. Because so mm-hmm. often you get the questioners. Oh, well, was that... What are you going to do for money? What about oh money? My God, aren't I'm you scared? Scared? Um, Oh my God. Like, like, oh my God, what about your... Girl, hang up the phone. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's not what you need. I mean, so I think you, what you do, like what you do for me is you're like, yes, girl. Yes. Right. Like, you know, I've already thought of yeah. all those doubts, but we're not, spending, yes. we're not wasting time there anymore. And so you're such a good empower of other women. How do you want to tell women? How, how do you do better at that? Because so often we see women breaking each other down in order yeah. to make themselves feel better. And you are, you know, the one who is elevating other women up and fixing their crown. And I think sometimes people have to learn that. Not everybody kind of comes by that honestly. So I think um, it has been, you know, in in the African-American community, you have either this crab in a barrel mentality where, you know, you're all kind of clamoring up and only a couple will be on top and you have to step on everybody else to get to the top. Or you have a lift as we climb, let's all get there together mentality. And I kicked that barrel (laughs) and said, it definitely is going to be better on my spirit uh, when I leave this world to know that I have brought as many people um, upward as I can, because I, I believe you know, and, and maybe it's not true, but I believe it. And um, someone told me that, um, I forgot what she said, but, um, you know, basically you can make your own reality. And so if I'm in the matrix over here and, and I'm just going to be in my matrix and I believe there's enough room at the top of this mountain for everyone. And that's why I don't have the fear of bringing anybody with me who wants to go. If someone calls me and they say, I'm quitting my job, I'm like, yeah, we need an entrepreneurial spirit. We need to make our own tables. How I might help you for an hour, talk about how can we best do this, but I'm not going to talk for an hour about why you shouldn't. And it just, it doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help to be a naysayer unless you're going to be my naysayer and pour some gasoline in my car. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It doesn't, you know, like we can, you know, you can be a, you can give a critique and a criticism, sure, but a true friend is going to help you um, or someone who's truly 
truly interested in building someone is going to help them find the way. And that's how I was raised. That's how I want to be. And I think, um, I think it's not a bad way to be. And that's kind of the only people I surround myself with are people who are going to help me get there so that we can help other people get there. I love it. There is room at our table, right? Like there's room at our table. There is room at our table. If y'all want to come join our table, there is room. Tiff and I are here for it. Um, I just adore you so much. And I want to thank you for being here. We're going to end with a few random questions. So get ready. Okay. They're just quick fire questions. Okay. okay. Is this like Andy Cohen on Bravo? I don't I like know. I don't one. know what that is. But <laughs> we're just going to ask you some questions and you're just going to answer real fast. And then we're going to go on. Okay. 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 So your favorite color? Navy blue. Oh, I love it. Your favorite movie? The color purple. Sweet or salty? Sweet. Who likes salty? I do. No, girl. Mm -mm. For real? Like chips and salsa is like... I don't eat pickles. I don't don't like pickles either. Mm -mm. Okay, good. Then you're okay. We could be fine. We don't like pickles. Okay. Um, if you were going to be on the podcast again and talk about a fertility topic, educational based, what'd be your favorite thing to talk about? Egg freezing. No, something. What? Oh, you said, fibroids? I said egg freezing. Fibroids? Yeah, and fibroids. Ooh, wait, what was the first thing you said? Egg freezing. Oh, egg freezing. Egg freezing and fibroids. Those are good. I haven't talked about fibroids yet. Can I, I love fibroids. Yeah, have me back, girl. I got the time. Do you operate? Yes. Do you do, what kind of cases do you do? Obviously, hysteroscopy, laparoscopy, but do you do robot? Do you do open? Do you do all I do open, and I'm also trained in Sonata, which I think would be fun to talk about. Okay, so Sonata. I'm like, oh my gosh, fibroid episode coming up, friends. Uh, What's one piece of advice you give to younger women? Don't stop till you reach the top. Mm. Is that how the song goes? I think that's how the song goes. I love it. <laughs> I oh. think it's don't stop till you get enough, but I'm saying oh. don't stop till you reach the top. Uh-oh. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and then if I don't know the answer, but if somebody's going to play you in the movie of all of us, who's it going to be? Ooh, a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always been told I look like Tia and Tamara, but I feel like, yeah, Tia and Tamara, they're twins. They can both yeah. play twins. They were, they were in the, didn't they have a show like Tia and Sister, sister, I loved it. Oh, so good. Okay. Um, and you're on social media and all the places. Why don't you tell everybody how they can follow you to learn more as they anxiously await the fibroid podcast that I'm going to make you do? Okay. <laughs> Yay. Um, so uh, my Instagram is at T Jones IVFMD. Um, I practice at Conceive Fertility Center. So it's www.conceivefertilitycenter.com. And um, I think all my other things like Facebook and um, Twitter, which I don't tweet, they're all the same, like at T Jones IVFMD. The one thing I will say if you ever try to find me, There are lots of Tiffany Joneses in the world, but there's only one T-I-F-F-A-N-N. Double N, get it right. Why? Okay. So if you're ever looking for me, if you're going to slide in them DMs and ask me all these fertility questions that I cannot answer, I'll give you some education, but I cannot give you advice. Um, That's how you find me. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Tiff. Just love you tons. This was 
just a great conversation. I feel like it could go on hours and hours, but I appreciate you being open and vulnerable and just sharing some of your spirit with the rest of us. So much it love. Was, it was cathartic. Thank you so much, Natalie, and much love to you and your little babies and your husband. I hope you guys have a great, great weekend. Mwah. All right, friends. Well, that was just such a fun conversation. I'm 100% going to have Tiff back on to talk about fibroids for sure, because we haven't even touched on that on the podcast yet. I would love to know who you'd like to hear on here. As I said, I'm still going to have my voice. I'm still going to pour into this podcast the time I always have. But I do think that hearing other people's stories is really helpful. And I always say, your voice is your most powerful tool. You must use it. Your story will inspire other people. You can change somebody's life just by speaking up or speaking your truth. And I think we have a lot more people who we can hear from and learn from and start to change this world for the better by educating ourselves, by empowering ourselves, and by empowering others. So just a huge thanks to all of you. If you listen this far, it's an hour in, much longer than my normal podcast episodes, but 1000% worth it. As always, I love every comment you guys send, every suggestion, rate, review, those things. They really do mean a lot. If you want to follow along on Instagram, it's at Natalie Crawford MD. If you want to watch a YouTube video, I'm getting it up and going. We've crossed over a thousand subscribers, which is a big number in the YouTube world. Natalie Crawford MD, you can search that and you can find it. I cannot wait to teach you guys more. You can also start following the new fertility practice. I'm going to talk about that next week, Fora Fertility. Our Instagram is at Fora Fertility, F-O-R-A, and there's going to be a lot of educational content, plus behind the scenes of starting a practice because it is crazy, it is exciting, it is fun. But more than anything, thank you guys for all your love and support. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com